This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to drop me into a spot where a kiss is either going to cure me or kill me. Morning, Commissioner. Ruth said you had an assignment for me. I do, Steve, and I suppose you were all tied up with a big deal as usual. Well, let's just call it a pet project. Mm, well, uh, Steve, ever hear the name Captain Jager? Captain Jager? Sure. He's supposed to be a notorious character in the China Seas. Sort of an American soldier of fortune, or I should say sailor of fortune. Operates a string of small boats and does just about anything for a buck. That's the story, all right. Supposedly, he runs guns and other contraband to ports on the China coast, but... We can never get the goods on him. Well, uh, you're up to date on Captain Jager, all right. And, Steve, we're going to use Captain Jager to nail whoever is financing the entire contraband operation. Then this Captain Jager just runs this string of smuggling boats, huh? Yeah, you might put it like that. Captain Jager's personal boat is supposed to be a rusty old tramp steamer named the Shanghai Lady. Look, Commissioner, this is all pretty vague. Captain Jager's ship is named the Shanghai Lady. And we're going to use Jager to nail the brains of the operation. But how? Where do I start? Who do I work with? You'll report to uh, Naval Intelligence at Lausanne in the Philippines, Steve. Uh Uh-huh. Hey, you know there's a very peculiar gleam in your eye, Commissioner. Who? Me? Yeah, you. There's a lot you haven't told me about this deal. I've told you all I can at this stage of the operation, Steve. Naval Intelligence in the Philippines will take it from there, and your plane leaves in just one hour. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you'll find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Sure, I've got my assignment. Or have I? 
All I know is there's a wholesale smuggling operation going on in the China Sea and that somehow I'm supposed to tangle with a rugged gent named Captain Jaeger and use him to find out who's masterminding the operation. Yeah, I'm really in the dark on this deal. It's like playing a game of poker when I can't see my own hand. And I've got an uneasy feeling I'm going to run into somebody who'll be trying his best to make me cash in my chips permanently. It's Wednesday when my plane lands in the Philippines and I head for Navy Intelligence Headquarters at Luzon. There, I'm introduced to a Commander Elwood. He ushers me into a waiting car and the driver heads for the waterfront. The uh, billion on the background of this operation, Mitchell? Not much, Commander. The commissioner said you boys in Naval Intelligence would supply a few missing pieces. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly with Naval Intelligence. Oh, then uh, who... Uh, but I uh, can give you a little of the general info. You probably know all about the contraband that's being run into the China Seas these days. Yeah. The mission is brief. It's to find out who's financing the whole deal. Sure, sure, all this I know, Commander, but what I don't get... Yeah? Well, look, I dash out here to the Philippines on a plane. I'm no sooner here than you usher me into this car and we head down here to the waterfront. I still don't know where I'm heading. We're here. Huh? Let's go. Okay. Don't wait, driver. We may be quite a little while. All right, this way, Mitchell. They're uh, turning onto the dock. Right. Hey, that's a submarine tied up there. Right again. I'll uh, try to take good care of you, Mitchell. Well, are you the skipper? <laughs> yes, I'm the skipper. Come on, let's get aboard. We're getting underway immediately. We shove off, and as I watch the shoreline fade, I get that uneasy feeling again. We set our course southwest the first day we cruise on the surface, but the second day we submerge. Late in the afternoon, the skipper sends for me. I find him in the conning tower. Well, we ought to be just about at the end of the line, Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Where are we? Well, that's just what we're going to find out right now. Up, Periscope. Yeah. Now we'll see what we can see. Hmm. Hey, you know, I guess I'll have to give that navigator of mine a raise. He's pretty good. Yeah, take a look, Mitchell. Okay. Ah, looks like we're out in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. Swing right a little now. Okay. Hey, a tramp steamer. Yeah. Can you make out the name on the stern? Shang... Shanghai lady. Hey. Down, Periscope. Look, what's the deal? Here, Steve, this envelope is for you. Huh? What's in it? Sealed orders. You'd open them when you get aboard. Get aboard what? The Shanghai lady. The... Hey, now, wait a minute. I'm going to board Captain Jaeger's ship. Yeah, and right now. Stand by to surface. Well, this is really a surprise, and right now I'm not at all sure it's a pleasant one. The subsurfaces. They open the hatches, the skipper shakes hands with me and sticks me into a rubber boat, and a couple of the crew row me towards the Shanghai lady which is lying too, gently rolling on the swell. It's a rusty old tub, and when we get close, I see the crew standing at the rail, staring down at me. And a more rugged-looking bunch of pirates I've never seen. I climb uneasily up the ladder and onto the deck. At close range, the crew is more sinister-looking than ever, and one of them, a stocky guy with a stocking cap, comes up to me. Uh, hi. Yeah. Is Captain Jaeger around? This way. Up this ladder. Okay. Here. Inside. All right. This is Captain Jaeger's cabin. Oh? Well, where is he? Right here. 
Oh, you? No, you. What? That's what? right. Look, is this some kind of a joke? No joke. Better read your orders, Mitchell. Mitch. Hey. Yeah, I guess I better. Anything that you don't understand, I'll fill in if I can. Hey. Surprise, huh? Yeah, it says there is no Captain Jaeger. That's right. But I don't understand all the stories I've heard sure, about. Sure, Mitchell. Remember during the last war, the RAF, whenever anything went wrong, who did the pilots blame it on? Why, the gremlins. Hey, wait, are you trying to say that Captain Jaeger is a gremlin? More or less. The Navy started it, I guess. There's been a lot of trouble in these waters the last couple of years. So everything that went wrong, every time there were guns smuggled or things like that, they started saying Captain Jaeger did it. Well, I'll be... So that's why the commissioner had that gleam in his eye when he was talking about Captain Jaeger. But that doesn't explain this ship and its crew. Also, my being sent here, unless... Oh, yeah. Sure, you get it. If everyone believes in Captain Jaeger, why not come up with one? Yeah, Captain Jaeger has a reputation for being a clever smuggler. Maybe the gent who's financing all this gun running will try to hire Captain Jaeger. That's the general idea. Let's go back out on deck. Okay. Any more questions? Yeah. The crew, who are they? Volunteers from the Marine Corps. Huh. What do you know? Pretty rugged-looking bunch, aren't they? The guy over there on the wing of the bridge, that's Johnson. Bakewell's the one down there on the well deck. The others are below deck right now, all except the sleepy-looking cutthroat over there at the rail. They call him Tennessee. Hi, Skip. I wonder why. Hi, Tennessee. Long way from home, aren't you? Well, sure enough, I'm, Skip. A real long way from women, folks. Yeah. Hey, uh, how much does the crew know about this deal? They didn't know anything until they got aboard. Now they have a general idea of the operation. Well, I guess that clears up everything but you. Mike Merrick, first mate of the Shanghai Lady, otherwise known as Lieutenant Merrick, United States Navy. Oh, well, I guess you can drop the accent for the time being. What accent? Oh, built in, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're the skipper, Steve, or rather Captain Jaeger. What happens from now on is up to you. What's our position, Mike? Out in the middle of the South China Sea. Let's see. My orders say to visit some of the ports in this neck of the woods. See if you'll be contacted by anybody. Uh-huh. Well, suppose we head for the Malayan Peninsula, down to Singapore, then over to Sumatra, Java, Borneo. Sounds fine. Something sure ought to happen in one of those places. Yeah, something will, all right. The question is, what? Well, come on, let's get underway. What time is it, Mike? Almost 2,400. Midnight, huh? Pretty bright moonlight. Yeah. I didn't realize there were so many little islands here along the Malayan coast. Yeah, a flock of them. Not too much room between these two. If we hold on this course, we should clear okay. Steady as you go, Tennessee. Sure enough, Skip. Uh, I mean, I, sir. <laughs> hey, that's funny. Hmm? That island over on our right. I thought I saw a light for a second. Where? Near the point. I don't see any. Wait. There's a junk coming around that point right ahead of us. Hey, there comes some more of them. How can find other islands, eh? Hey, they've got machine guns. Uh, get down! Man, that's too close, real too close. That's their standard gag. They rake the bridge, hope to kill off everyone there right off the bat. What do you mean? What's Who's in those junks? Malayan pirates, hijackers. These waters are lousy with them. Pretty well-armed, pirates. Sure, that's where some of those smuggled guns end up. Okay, so we drop this Captain Jagger routine and have ourselves a little naval engagement. First, we've got to have room to maneuver this baby. Tennessee, 
Right full rudder. Right full rudder. Steve, what's the matter? Take a look astern of us. Hey, two more junks back there. They just popped out from behind that island on the left. Well, this is just great. Three junks ahead of us, two behind us, and an island on each side. We're bottled up, Mike, but good. It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC. People used to say it was the biggest cornet in the world, and the man who played it was Pete Kelly. You'll hear him, too, in radio's newest dramatic half-hour, Pete Kelly's Blues, tomorrow and every Wednesday evening on most NBC stations. Pete Kelly's Blues. It's about the big music, the big trouble, and the big roar of the 20s. Hear Pete Kelly's Blues tomorrow on most NBC stations. And now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Hey, Mike, those monkeys are probably going to try and board us. Don't we have anything more potent than small arms and slingshots to fight back with? Sure, up there on the deck near the bow of that crate. What about it? It's a concealed gun mount. The sides fold down 40 millimeters. Trick is, try to get to it. Hey, one of the boys is trying for it now. Yeah, yeah, looks like something. Oh, brother, they got him cold. Say, look, I think I'd get that machine gun out of spotted, Skipper. Look, oh. up on the mast of the lead junk. Now, there's a rifle here on the bridge, and I used to be pretty fast on the floor, knocking squirrels out of trees. Okay, grab your squirrel gun, Daniel Boone. What are you going to do, Steve? You take over here on the bridge, Mike. As soon as that machine gunner sticks his head out again, you let him have it, Tennessee. Right. Maybe I can make it to the gun month before anybody else lets fly. I hope. <laughs> Tennessee eases over to the wing of the bridge and takes a sight. Then we wait. Now, just a little more now, Santa boy. Come on, baby, peek out. That's it now. Hold it. <laughs> Got him, Skip. I drop to the deck and run forward to the crate, pull down the slats, and dive behind the shield with the dime. I swing the 40 millimeter around and go to work on the nearest junk. It's point-blank range. Shell rips through the flimsy boat and sets it on fire. I shift to the next one and do likewise. Two bursts more and the third one is done for. The other two turn tail. One of those I set on fire. The other slips around the island. I quit shooting and turn around. Mike is standing there grinning at me. What are you trying to do? Burn the gun up? Why do you figure they jumped us in the first place, Mike? They probably thought we were running guns or other stuff to them. To them, I don't get you. Routine with these guys. They order a load of guns, COD. Then they sneak out and hijack it on the way. Think of the money they save. Oh, brother, this is a real nice league. We're playing ball, eh? Well, I guess we better... Hold it. Huh? Take a look at that silhouette out there in the moonlight. A warship. They're blinking a message to us. Silhouette look familiar? Uh, Dutch, by the look of it. Stand by for... Boarding party. Acknowledge. Out of the frying pan into the fire. We better acknowledge. Not yet. What? Hey, they turned their searchlight on us. Think they can read our names? Sure. What'll it do, Skipper? Straight ahead, Tennessee. Hey, what? Steve, those, those boys mean business. I shot across our bow. Okay, Tennessee, stop the engines. Acknowledge the message. Jay? What was the idea of that? Just acting the way they'd expect Captain Jager to act. Captain Jager? You mean you're not going to identify yourself to them? Mike, suppose those boys think I'm Captain Jager. What'll they do? Uh, probably escort us to the nearest port and search the ship for contraband. That way we get a lot of publicity, huh? Oh, I get it. Wait a minute. 
Are we by any chance carrying anything in this tub that might be classified as contraband? If so, we're cooked. <laughs> Don't worry about that, Steve. Why? What are we carrying? A load of sand. Sand? Yeah. Wait till they start trying to figure that out. They'll flip their lids. <laughs> That's just about what happens. They escort us into the same Dutch port we were heading for anyway. Throw me in jail and post the guard on board the ship. Then they start trying to figure out what the sand is all about. In the meantime, I'm waiting to see if anyone tries to contact me. The next afternoon, I'm lying on the cot in my cell when I hear a woman's voice out in the office. I wish to see Captain Jagger, if you please. I am his wife. Now, this sounds real interesting. Two minutes later, they usher my wife into the cell. Hello, darling. Uh, now that I... is no way to greet me. Mm. There. Is not that way much better? <laughs> sure is. Like I keep telling myself, I'm so lucky to have a wife like you. That kiss was for the benefit of the guard. I'll bet I got a lot more benefit out of it than he did. I, uh... Colette, I told them I was Captain Jagger's wife. Yeah, I heard you. Why? Otherwise, I do not think they would let me in. And I had to see you. Oh, what about? I wish to interview the famous Captain Jack. Interview me? Hey, who are you? As I told you, my name is Colette. I work for a newspaper syndicate. There are some questions I would like to ask you. Such as? How long do you expect to be locked up here? Well, that's up to the port authorities. What else? When you are released, where will you go? Why, well, I uh, haven't decided. One more question. Do you know where the Blue Parrot Bar is? <laughs> I think I could find it. The first night you are released, perhaps? And how? Good. I must go now. Somebody coming down the corridor. The gap. And my first mate. I must go now. I will see you later, darling. Okay, Colette. Hi, Mike. Well, hi, darling. You work fast. Oh, I'm a real slicker. Who is she? My wife. Huh? So she says. She also says she's a newspaper reporter. She wants to interview me in the Blue Parrot Bar the first night I get out of here. I see. You uh, think she could be the contact? I don't know. Well, you should be able to find out tonight. How so? That's what I came to tell you. You're a free man. Oh, so they finally gave up on that sand, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in disgust. They've given us 24 hours to get the Shanghai lady out of port. Well, that means whoever's going to contact me better hurry up. Come on, let's get back aboard ship. Steve, I'll give you a hand up on deck. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Hey, why are all the guys clustered around the rail over there? Let's go see what's up. Look, Tennessee's in the middle. He's got a pair of binoculars trained on that yacht over there. Oh, man, oh, man. Okay, break it up, boys. Break it up. What's going on? Uh, Oh, oh, Jeff, would you take a look at that? Let's have those binoculars. Oh, you mean that yacht? (laughs) I mean, what's on it? What's that? Oh, well, well. What is it? Oh, a little number in dark glasses and a bikini bathing suit. Hey, she's waving at me. Look, what's with you, anyway? Catnip, maybe? You know, this Captain Jager should have been invented a long time ago. Uh, Skipper, I'm sure getting lonesome for my binoculars. Okay, Tennessee. Oh, thanks. Oh, shucks, all fogged up. Hey, Steve, look. She's gotten into a motorboat. Yeah, and she's heading this way. Looks like we're going to have a visitor. Come on, let's get down to the gangway. Okay, that's a pretty expensive-looking yacht. Yeah. You think this gal could be the contact? Who knows? Here we are. 
Captain Jager. Yeah? Mind if I come aboard? Not at all. Hi. Here, let me have your hand. Uh, Up you come. Thank you. Well, the same as Captain Jager himself. Remember me? Well, uh, not exactly. I uh... Patricia Brand. Well, <laughs> well, there's no reason why you should, really. We've never met before. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say that. Oh, why? Well, otherwise I'd have known I was slipping, not remembering meeting you. It's just that I wanted to see the famous man close up. Sometimes close-ups aren't so hot. Oh, I'd say in this case it was even better. Mm. That's uh, quite a nice-looking yacht you've got. Were we speaking of yachts? Well, not exactly. <laughs> You're a very interesting combination, Captain Jager. Am I? Yes. I, uh, I collect interesting things, you know. Uh, look, uh, Captain? Yeah, Mike. Excuse me, Patricia. Certainly. What is it, Mike? Another visitor. See? Big was just helping him on deck. Mm-hmm. Little guy. Ever seen him before? No. He came from the yacht, too. Oh, he looks pretty unhappy about something. Oh, that's not unusual. He's always unhappy. Who is he? Arthur, my husband. You're... Well, well. Up to your old tricks as usual, Patricia? Oh, Arthur, please, let's not be a complete boor. As for you, sir, luring my wife to your ship? This is luring her? Now, look. Arthur, this is Captain Jager. I don't care if you're Captain Kidd. I'll teach you. Oh, to... now, Arthur, really... Now, look, Buster, cut out the rough stuff. You're not built for it. You put me down. I say, put me down. Okay. But just simmer down. Yeah. Patricia, come back to the yard at once. Oh, Arthur, really? You heard me at once. Oh, all right, all right. Goodbye for now, Captain. Uh, good luck with your collection, Patricia. Perhaps I can add to it. Oh, brother. I bet she gives that little guy a bad time. Yeah. Well, it's getting dark. We better head into town to the Blue Parrot Bar and see if my little friend Colette is going to keep her date. Ah, Captain Diego, you've kept your appointment. Sure, Colette. Right on time. Skipper, I'll shove off. I see a friend at the bar. Okay, Mike. I am glad your friend left. It's much better this way. Hey, that fat gent. He seems to be waddling our way. Oh, good evening, Colette. Oh, Herr Van Zandt. This is Captain Jager. Captain, Herr Van Zandt, an importer. Herr Van Zandt? Well, yes, sir, the famous Captain Jager. I'm honored. You uh, say you're an importer? In the manner of speaking. Uh, come on, Captain. Huh? Must you leave? That's news to me. Please? Okay. Well, perhaps I will see you later, Captain Jager. Yeah, who knows? Hey, how come the big desire to leave all of a sudden, Colette? It is just that I want to be alone with you, Captain. Oh? Yeah, this alley. Hmm? There, this is far enough. Now, why did you want to be alone with me? Simply for this. Oh, no. No. Sorry, too late. I'll take it now. Now, would you mind telling me what this is all about? You kill him. So I want to kill you. I killed who? Henry, my man. He's found dead in an alley a month ago. I learned that Captain Jaeger killed him. So I swear I killed Captain Jaeger. Look, Colette, you've got the wrong guy. I didn't kill your boyfriend. I wasn't anywhere near around here a month ago. But, but they say that Captain Jaeger... Sure, they're always blaming everything on me. Now you better run along and don't get any more ideas like this. All right, Captain. I'm sorry. Oh, brother. Close. What? Oh, Mike. 
Yeah, I was tailing you. You know, I've just had a very unpleasant thought. Yeah, so did I. I wonder how many other people are gunning for him. Him? You mean you. On that note of cheer, we go back to the ship. Tennessee is on deck, still glued to his binoculars and staring through the darkness at the lighted yacht and Patricia. Mike and I head for my cabin. Still, no contact. Uh, Mr. Mitchell. Oh, Van Zandt. I took the liberty of waiting in your cabin because I must talk to you, Captain Jigger. Why, sure, that's quite all right. You uh, maybe have a business proposition for me? No, I have some credentials for you. Yeah. Credentials? I don't... Hey, you're a Dutch intelligence agent. Precisely. I tried to speak to you earlier this evening, but it seemed the little Colette had other plans. Hmm. What's on your mind? There has been a leak. The whole plan is snow. What? How could there have been a leak? Your Navy discovered a shallow grave in Luzon. The body of a man named Bakewell. But Bakewell is one of my crew. Not the real Bakewell. An impostor who killed Bakewell and assumed his identity. And thus was able to learn of the plan. Well, that explains the leak, all right. We have arrested this false Bakewell. He is now in jail ashore. But the damage has been done. It sure has. Oh, brother. This whole operation up in smoke and no closer to finding out who the brains of the smuggling operation is than we were before. Van Zandt and Mike go below to search the phony Bakewell's belongings, and I sit there thinking about the whole deal. Suddenly, I realize there's something that doesn't add up. When did the leak take place? None of the crew members, including the phony Bakewell, could have known what the operation was until they came aboard the Shangri-La. Once aboard, there was no chance for them to communicate with anybody. No chance except, yeah, it begins to slide into place. I go up on deck and get into a rowboat. I row quietly over to Patricia's yacht and ease aboard. I hear voices aft. I move quietly along the deck. There are lights on under the awning in the stern. Stop that. Oh, heaven's sake, could you please stop laughing no. about it? How was I to know who he was? If I hadn't caught up with you, you probably would have ruined everything. Oh, what I hear sounds real interesting, and I want to hear more, but I don't get a chance because right then there's a gun in the back of my neck. One of the yacht crew. He shoves me forward under the awning. Well, 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 look what we have here. Hello, Arthur. And Patricia. Well, it's Captain Jager himself. Otherwise known as the United States agent. We were just talking about you. So I gathered. I finally figured out how your plant, the phony Bakewell, got the word out. He was the one who helped you up on deck when you came busting over after Patricia. Matter of fact, he probably signaled you to get over there fast, Arthur. He did indeed. As he helped me aboard, he told me what he'd learned of your operation. You uh, put on the jealous husband act and got Patricia away from me before she could tip anything. Exactly. So you're the boy who's been financing most of the gun running, narcotic smuggling, and various other charming enterprises in this neck of the woods? I have that honor. Well, what happens now, Arthur? <laughs> Need you ask? You'll be escorted to one of the staterooms. We get underway and, shall we say, let you off somewhere in the China Sea. Perkin, take him forward. Move. Okay, but just one thing. What is that? That collection we were talking about, Patricia. I'd like to add to mine. Oh? Right about now. Mm. Patricia! Mm. Hi. Oh, really? When I want my back scratched, I'll let you know. <laughs> Sorry. All right, get moving. I start forward, the guard behind me, and I don't know whether the gag has worked or not, but I do know that if it hasn't, I'm cooked. The guard takes me to one of the staterooms near the bow, opens the door, and motions me in. 
I decide I can't wait any longer. Suddenly, I lurch back against the door, trapping his gun hand. Before he can fire, I give him a left hook and start for the bow. There's a gent in front of me with a gun. I see his fingers start tightening up on the trigger. But I'm not the one who collects the slug. He does. He crumples over. My eyes flick to the rail. There, head and shoulders over the deck and grinning at me down the barrel of his smoking squirrel gun is Tennessee. And behind him, the rest of my crew, they all swarm over the place. The yacht, and five minutes later, the free-for-all is over. Arthur's neatly trussed up in his cabin. Patricia and hers in Tennessee. <laughs> my, 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 that little fracas didn't last nay long enough. Doggone, I was having the most fun. Tennessee, I'm sure glad you're a peeping Tom at heart. Well, sir, there I was just squinting through my binocs at that lovely little old gal, and suddenly I see you step up, plant a big smacker on her. Then you start tracing a big SOS with your finger right across her back. All I can say is you sure got here in a hurry. I wasn't sure you'd know I was in trouble. <laughs> you kidding, Skip? What do you mean? Well, if you want to be rescued from that, I figured how bad can trouble be? Yeah, I guess you've got a point there. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jondo, with music by Robert Armbruster, and is produced and directed by Bill Karn. Others in the cast were Tony Barrett, Paul Fries, Irene Winston, Paul Dubov, and Gene Tatum. Be with us again next week at this time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC. Dangerous Assignment, transcribed starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to wind up with my life being saved by a handful of cigars. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, you're going ghost hunting. Ever hear of Eli Bryant? Eli Bryant? Sounds familiar. World War II, an American trader, collaborated with the Japanese in the South Pacific. Oh, yeah, finger man, first class. He was killed in 1944 during one of our raids, wasn't he? So we thought. Eli Bryant is still very much alive, Steve. Been in hiding ever since. According to our information, he's in Australia. Had a plastic surgery job done on his face. One of our boys get a line on him? No, a man named Walt Cooper claimed he recognized Bryant in Darwin two weeks ago. He contacted us and said we'd hear from him again. What's his angle? It looks like he's trying to make some sort of deal. Putting the squeeze on Eli Bryant, and if that doesn't work, he's going to try to see how much he can get from us. That looks like it. Well, have we heard from him again? I've just heard about him. Cooper's body was found in a ditch on the outskirts of Darwin three nights ago. 
<laughs> Looks like he tried to pull the blackmail bite on the wrong man. Steve, get over there. Find the man who killed Cooper, and I think you'll find Eli Bryant. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Before we bring you tonight's Dangerous Assignment adventure, let me tell you about tomorrow's fine comedy on the NBC Radio Network. Yes, tomorrow you'll hear The Bob Hope Show and Fibber McGee and Molly, and Eddie Cantor will bring you his show business show. There's always entertainment when Fibber and Molly open wide the doors at 79 Wistful Vista. And tomorrow, from Palm Springs, California, Bob Hope will have Bing Crosby, Marilyn Maxwell, and Charlie Farrell as his special guests. And Eddie Cantor's show business show will present a program of Italian entertainers. Bob Hope, Fibber McGee and Molly, Eddie Cantor. Yes, hear all three tomorrow on NBC. Fly to Darwin, Australia, track down the killer of a would-be blackmailer, and I'll probably wind up with a gent named Eli Bryant, American traitor, fingerman for the Japanese in World War II. It's late Tuesday afternoon when my plane lands at Darwin, and half an hour later I'm at police headquarters talking about Cooper's murder with the officer in charge. He brings out a flock of photographs and x-rays. You see what I mean, Mr. Mitchell? Here. Yeah. Wound on the back of Cooper's skull is rather unusual. No ordinary weapon, that's for sure. Looks as if he was struck with a club of some sort. Yeah, and one with spikes in it at that. Right. What have you found out about him? Cooper? Oh, very little. Single, lived in a boarding house, had very few friends. One of them was a man named Fleming. John Fleming lived at the same address. You have Fleming in for a talk? Fleming's here all right in the morgue. He's dead. What? A farmer found Fleming's body in a parked car this morning some 50 miles south of here. Don't tell me he was hit with that spike club. No, a 45 caliber bullet finished him off. That killer of ours seems to be having a busy week. No, this wasn't the same person, I'm sure. Oh? You see, Fleming's death wasn't a deliberate killing, Mr. Mitchell. One of my men telephoned in two hours ago with the news that a young lady reported someone had broken into a farmhouse near Murchison Creek last night. She fired a few shots at the man, thought she missed. It was Fleming? Yes, somehow he must have managed to get back to his car, drive a mile or so. And then conked out, huh? Conked? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Mitchell. Yes? Mr. Pelling, eh? Just a moment. Fleming's employer. I asked him to drop in. Want to talk to him? Sure. All right, have Mr. Pelling come in. Pelling runs some sort of a curio shop. Fleming was one of his clerks. I see. Come in, Mr. Pellin. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell, Mr. Pellin. How do you do? Mr. Pellin. Sit down, sir. I can't tell you what a shock Fleming's death has been to me, gentlemen. Why, he's been with me for years. My best clerk. You knew him pretty well, then? Of course. That is, I thought I did. What do you mean? Well, he's quiet, dependable, devoted to the store. I was thinking about bringing him in the firm as a partner. And the other day... He... Well, he quit. Just like that. I couldn't understand it. Mr. Pellin, have you ever met a man called Cooper? Cooper? Cooper. 
Let me think. A friend of Fleming's. He might have been in your store a few times. No. No, I, I don't believe I ever met the man. Well, looks like my next stop is that farmhouse near Murchison Crick and the young lady who plugged Fleming. I'll check with you later, Lieutenant. It's raining hard when my train pulls out of Darwin and raining even harder when I arrive at Murchison Crick Station three hours later. It's really out in the middle of nowhere, nothing but rolling plains. I finally get directions to the farmhouse I'm looking for. It's a one-mile walk in the rain. Yes? What do you want? You, uh, Augusta Wells? That's right. My name's Mitchell, Steve Mitchell. Here's my credential. Hmm, big-time policeman. Yeah. Now, how about putting away that forty-five? What? Oh, sorry. Come on in. I'm still a little nervous after what happened last night. Nice place you have here. Run it alone? My father and I do. Pops away on a trip to Melbourne. Business? Yes. We raise pigs. Uh, I know. South wind again, hmm? You're American, aren't you, Miss Wells? Yes, but make it Gussie. Please never call me Augusta. Was born in a town of the same name. A whim of my parents. I have a brother who was born in Toledo. Aren't I lucky? What were you asking me? Uh, last night, about... Uh... Oh, well, there isn't much to say. I heard a noise in the den and came in to investigate. There he was, going out the window. He didn't stop when you called out? No, so I let it fly. Didn't know I'd hit him till this morning. One of the farmers down the road told me. Do you have any idea what the man wanted in the den? No, nothing much of value there. Mind if I have a look? No. Come ahead. Here we are. I saw him as I opened the door. He was... Over there, by the window. Uh-huh, and what did... Well, what is it, Mr. Mitchell? What's wrong? The last thing I expect to see in an Australian farmhouse is a wooden cigar store Indian, but there he is, about five feet tall. Then I spot something else. Resting by the Indian's foot and carved into the base of the figure is a war club, a wicked-looking weapon with half a dozen spikes sticking out of it. What's... What's wrong, Mr. Mitchell? I've suddenly become interested in this. That war club? Mm. It doesn't come loose. It's sort of a permanent fixture, carved right out of the pedestal. Oh, I see. How long has the chief been in the family? Only since yesterday afternoon. Oh? Gift from a friend of mine, Bertie Slack. He's got a weird sense of humor and a face to match. Last year, he sent me a moose head for my birthday. Where's uh, Bertie get this, do you know? In Darwin, a store called Pellens. Pellens? Curio shop of some sort. Bertie's a regular customer. I see. When did he buy it? A couple of days ago. Why? The man who broke into your den last night, Fleming, was a clerk at Pellens. Oh? Yeah. And a friend of his named Cooper was murdered four nights ago with a weapon that could be this war club. But how? That club is part of the pedestal. You can't swing the whole works. No, but a man could fall. Hit his head against the pedestal. Oh, sure. Sure, I guess so. You have a phone? We're not that civilized. Uh, look, do you mind if I borrow your redskin friend? I think the police in Darwin might be interested in him and maybe in Mr. Pellin, too. You mean you want to take the Indian back with you? Why not? Well, you'll have to wait until morning. There isn't another train till then. Oh? I have a spare bedroom. Yeah, I noticed. And a gun. I noticed that, too. If you'll help me with the linen and blanket. Sure. Lead the way, Gussie. <laughs> Made. 
There's an extra blanket in the cupboard if you need it. Okay, thanks. Hey, wait a minute. Listen. Sounds like a truck pulling away. Funny, I didn't hear it approach. Could have posted in. What would a truck be doing around here this time of night? That's what I want to find out. Hall lights right at the bottom of the stairs. Okay. I want to take a look in the den here. Hey. The Indian. It's gone. In just a moment, Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment. We now bring you an important announcement for all Americans, particularly those of you who run your own business or are in a position to hire employees. This country is now engaged in a gigantic defense program which must be kept on schedule. There's no time to lose. To win, we've got to use every ounce of strength, industrial strength, in this contest to protect ourselves and the free world. That means we've got to give jobs, productive jobs, to all Americans. We've got to hire the handicapped. Thousands of handicapped persons, veterans and non-veterans alike, are ready, willing, and able to work. Thousands of others have proved on the job that when they're properly placed, they do every bit as good a job as their able-bodied fellow workers. So, Mr. Employer, give these folks a chance to help you increase your productive capacity. Hire the handicapped. Help them. Help your business. Help America. And now, back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Gussie wheels a small car out of the garage, and we take off after the truck. The road is wet from the recent rain, but we slowly gain. Then we come to a steep grade. Gussie comes up alongside the truck, but it suddenly swerves over, trying to crowd us off the road. Gussie hits the brakes. The truck misses us and goes into a skid over the bank. We stop, get out, and climb down to the wreck. How many are there? There's only the driver, and he's dead. Yeah, here's the chief, safe and sound in the back. What are we going to do now? How far is it to Darwin? About 70 miles. Through country like this? Most of the way. Real rugged, isn't it? Yeah, see, I'd feel a lot better if I got the chief there as soon as possible. Do you think you could drive us? Well, it's going to be a little crowded in this car, but after all, I don't often get a chance to take one man for a ride, let alone two. Come on. How far have we come? About halfway. Oh, fine. Getting tired? Well, holding this wooden warrior in my lap is not exactly my idea of comfort. Steve. What's the matter? That bend in the road behind us, some headlights just came round it. Yeah. Hey, gaining on us, too. Coming up pretty fast. Do you think he's after us? That answer your question? It sure does. Step on it. spot a clump of trees and pull in behind it. Their car roars past. Then... Hey. Yeah. The tracks run parallel to the road, about half a mile away. I thought you said there was no train until morning. I meant passenger trains. They run a slow freight and cattle train through every night. 
I'd settle for that right now, believe me, but I don't suppose I've got a chance of catching it. Sure we have. Huh? There's a grade right over there. It slows almost to a stop. Okay, let's start hiking. Hurry, Steve. Just a little faster and we'll make it. This baby weighs a ton. Here, I'll try and get it on this flat car. There. Come on, climb aboard. I sure didn't realize what I was getting into when my friend Bertie sent this chief to me. I'm still a little hazy about some of the details. I think it breaks down something like this. Helen, the owner of the curio shop where the Indian came from, is actually Eli Bryant, a war trader and collaborator we've been chasing for several years. I heard his name mentioned during the war. Yeah, a guy named Cooper found out who Pellin was and tried to blackmail him. In a fight, Cooper got shoved over, hit his head on the chief's club, and it killed him. Pellin carted his body away, but the Indian here is proof of where the murder took place and puts the finger on Pellin. But this Fleming who tried to break into my house. Yeah, he was a clerk at Pellin's. He probably tried to pick up the blackmail gag where his friend Cooper had left off. He could have sold the Indian to your friend Bertie so it would be in a safe place, and he could put the pressure on Pellin. Well, I guess that explains everything. Hey, they seem to be stopping. What's that up there ahead? Cattle shoots. Probably going to unload. Wait a minute. The car parked up near the front of the train. Yeah, the tracks curve around and cross the road. That's the car that was chasing us. They must have figured the switch and backtrack. Come on, we're getting off on the other side here. Well, how about the chief? He's coming with us. There. Hey, look. The ditch beside the roadbed. Steve, this isn't going to work. You can't get very far carrying the chief. You got any better ideas? Yeah, I think I've got my bearings now. This section of the country looks familiar. Could you hide here for a little while with the chief? Yeah, I guess so. We're out of sight here. Why? What's your idea? See you later. As it takes off across the fields, I don't know what her idea is, but I hope it works. All I can do is stay undercover in the ditch with the wooden Indian. Twenty minutes later, I hear a sound. A motor of some type, but I can't peg it. It gets closer, then all of a sudden, Gussie comes wheeling up to the edge of the ditch. What? A motorcycle. Sure, complete with sidecar for you and the chief. Oh, no. Where did you get it? Some people I know live a couple of miles away. I borrowed it from them. Did you telephone the Darwin police? No, they don't have a phone there. Oh, fine. So we hit the road again. Well, not exactly. What do you mean? Might be safer to travel cross-country away before cutting back to the road. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, chief, let's saddle up. probably get back on the road now. Oh, and I couldn't possibly think of a better idea. There. Yeah. I don't see any sign of a car behind us. We may have shaken them. Getting light. Yeah. Hey, don't tell me. Hmm? Civilization, look, up there beside the road, a farmhouse. And telephone wires leading to it. Well, what do you know? I'll head in behind the back porch there. Fine. There. Out of sight of the road now. Yeah. Come on, Chief. We're dismounting. See? Looks pretty deserted around here. Yeah. Smells musty. Probably been shut up for some time. There's the phone. Dead? Dead. 
What do we do now? That's a good question. Steve, the front door. I'll take a peek out the window. Is it Helen? No, I've never seen this guy before. Come here, take a look. Recognize him? No, I've never seen him either. He could be working for Pelham. Who is it? Name's Bedwell. I need a bit of a helping hand. Oh? What do you mean? Well, my automobile is stalled on the road. I'm not much of a hand at tinkering. I thought you might be able to help me. Steve, it could be a trap. Yeah, I know, but if it isn't, if he's legit, we can fix his car. It's our best way of getting to Darwin. I say, I'm still here. Here, take the gun, Gussie, and keep me covered all the way. Don't show yourself. All right, but be careful. Well, good morning. Hi. Where is this car of yours? Oh, see, it's through that clump of trees. Oh, yeah. I've been sitting it out most of the night and didn't want to disturb you until it got light. Okay, let's take a look. Bedwell still wondering if it's a trap, but nothing happens. We get to the car. I find a loose distributor wire and fix it. Bedwell gets in and the car starts like a top. I say. I guess that was it, all right. Well, thanks awfully, old boy. Sure. Are uh, you heading toward Darwin? Yes. Can I give you a lift? You sure can. Hop in. Well, there are some others back in the house that I have to go to. Oh, others? Oh, who are they? One's a girl. Oh, how jolly. Does she have a friend? Well, uh... As a matter of fact, yes. Who's the friend? Well, you may find this a little hard to believe, Mr. Bedwell, but you see... The friend is a wooden Indian. What? Helen. A gun? I say, what is all this popping out from behind trees with talk of wooden Indians? Get out of the car, quickly. What happened to the accent, Helen? I don't need it anymore. Well, really? Now, Mr. Mitchell. You finally caught up with us. I certainly did. You see, I found out whom Fleming had sold the Indian to and sent one of my men after it. The guy in the truck? Yes. Fortunately, I followed along myself in my car. It's been a long chase, but it's over now. I say, I really don't know what any of this is all about, but I'm sure it's none of my business. And if you'll excuse me... Hardly. You were unfortunate enough to happen along at the wrong time. That Indian proves Cooper was killed at your curio shop. Cooper knew who Eli Bryant was, the collaborator we've been chasing all these years. That sort of makes you Bryant. Exactly. Now we're all going back to the farmhouse and our friend, the Wooden Indian. We start back to the farmhouse. I know Gussie's covering me, but when we get to the door, I realize it's not going to do me any good. Pelham is too smart. He jams his gun against my backbone and yells through the door. Open up, young lady. And if you have a gun, drop it. Either that or I shoot Mr. Mitchell. Gussie opens up, drops her gun. Helen spots the wooden Indian, and I know I've got to think fast because he's due to start shooting any second. Then I get an idea. The wooden Indian is standing beside the table on which the phone sits. Well, now that I have the Indian... It's too late, Helen. The police already know about you. I telephoned them a few minutes ago. Ah, uh, you're bluffing. This farmhouse is vacant. The phone's been disconnected. Don't kid yourself. Here, I'll show you. I pick up the phone and walk toward Pelham. I manage to loop the wire over the Indian's outstretched hand, the one that holds the wooden cigars. Pelham takes the phone just as he starts to listen. I give the wire a jerk. It pulls the Indian forward into Pelham's gun. Uh, too late. Are you all right, Steve? Sure. Our friend the chief here saved us. Now, if Mr. Bedwell will be kind enough to take us all to Darwin... A uh, uh, wooden Indian for a friend? A deserted farmhouse. 
Oh, really, I... We're I... not really nuts, Mr. Bedwell. I can explain. Oh, quiet, quiet. Hey, Bedwell, come back. Bedwell! Gussie. Yeah? You better crank up your little motorcycle again. Our star, Brian Donlevy, will be back in just a moment. When it comes to knowing the people and facts about show business, you'll find that Eddie Cantor's 42 years in the entertainment world have given him a great backlog of wonderful stories about show people. And every Tuesday evening on the NBC radio network, Eddie recounts those intimate little-known stories about your favorite entertainers. So make it a date with Eddie Cantor's show business show for tomorrow and every Tuesday evening. You'll hear the recorded talents of many superb artists. And you'll hear interesting material from Eddie Cantor's memory book. Tomorrow evening, Eddie will present a program of entertainers of Italian backgrounds as he features records by Jimmy Durante, Mario Lanza, Arturo Toscanini, and Tony Arden. Yes, make a date to be in the radio audience tomorrow evening for Eddie Cantor's show business show. It's a regular Tuesday night feature joining such other fine programs as Fibber McGee and Molly, Bob Hope, and the Cavalcade of America on most stations of the NBC radio network. Next week, a train trip and a slight case of murder. That will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe. John Storm speaking. <laughs> Included in tonight's cast were Kay Stewart, Dan O'Herlihy, Don Morrison, and Ben Wright. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn, stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.